really, um, yeah, I wish everyone a happy new year since this is my first time to come to um, meet you guys this year. Um, Great. All right, well, let's begin. Good morning, everyone. Our message today is the reproach of Christ. The passage, as we have read, is from Hebrews 11, 24 to 27. Let us start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you brought us here this morning. We pray that you open our hearts, our mind to understand your word. Uh, speak to us, Lord. Um, also, we just pray, God, uh, that you will bring peace um, on this earth, uh, on the nation, um, in the world that we live. Uh, we pray for um, just your protection, your, your healing right now on people um, as we are uh, still in this pandemic. Um, we just pray for our hearts uh, to have your peace and your light uh, during this time, Lord. And we also pray for the peace and the light of Jesus Christ to be spread forth to this nation, uh, over the nation and over the world during this time, Lord. We pray for your word to bring encouragement, uh, peace and comfort to people. And we just pray that you will use us as channels of blessings as well during this time. And uh, most of all, help us to stand firm in our faith in uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Just thank you, Lord, for this uh, time, for the message that you have given to us and pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. As our society becomes more secular and pluralistic, the truths of the Bible and the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ as the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to Heavenly Father except through Him will inevitably face Challenges. How should Christians live in this environment? How should we share the gospel in this setting? Believers from ancient times have endured reproach for their faith. Early Christians were accused of cannibalism because Christians say that in the Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, that they were taking the flesh and blood of the Lord. We know that the bread represents the Lord's body and the grape juice represents the Lord's blood in remembrance of his death on the cross. They were accused of incest because they were calling their spouse brother or sister in Christ. Now we know we are brothers and sisters in Christ because we're in God's family. They were accused of being atheists because they refused to worship all the Roman gods. And we know that we can only worship one true God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what can we learn from the cloud of witnesses, the heroes of faith who have walked before us? Hebrews 11:26 says that Moses was considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches, than the treasures of Egypt, but he was looking to the reward. What can we learn from Moses? 
who consider the reproach of Christ as greater riches than the royal kingdom treasures of Egypt. Is the reproach of Christ truly worth more than all the riches of the world? So today we will be looking at one. What does the reproach of Christ mean? Two, what does the reproach of Christ mean for us? Three, what does the reproach of Christ mean for the world? One, what does the reproach of Christ mean? So the Greek word for reproach in Hebrews 11 means an act of disparagement that results in disgrace and has the meaning of reproach, reviling, disgrace, and insult. So first of all, the reproach of Christ is the reproach Jesus Christ endured. Of course, throughout history, the name of our creator, the Lord God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have been reproached by humankind in their worship of idols, in their rebellious acts um, against the knowledge of the true God. So what reproach, reviling, disgrace, and insult did Jesus Christ endure for us? Today, I will mention four kinds of reproach Jesus endured. One, Jesus emptied himself of his heavenly glory. When the Son of God came from heaven to earth to be born as a baby, he emptied himself of his heavenly glory, leaving behind the glory and majesty of heaven. Philippians 2. 6 to 7 says that Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. A bond servant is actually the word for slave. A slave is someone who is subject to the will of another. The Lord subjected himself wholly to the will of the Father to serve us and save us by dying on the cross for our sins. And Jesus humbled himself as a slave because crucifixion was originally reserved for condemned slaves. Therefore, who are in Christ? Those in Christ, we should no longer be slaves to sin, but by the power of God's Spirit, offer ourselves to God as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. That's from Romans 6.19. And also, 2 Corinthians 8.9 tells us, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The Son of God left the infinite glory and riches of heaven to come to earth to save those who would believe in him and give them the riches of eternal life. Second, 
Jesus was rejected by his own. John 1, 11, in the New Living Translation says, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. When Pilate asked, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. That's from John 19, 15. So Jesus was born a Jew, but he experienced rejection by both the rulers and commoners of his own people. Number three, Jesus was falsely accused. In Mark 3.22, he was accused of performing miracles by demonic powers. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebub, and he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Matthew 26, 59 to 61 tells us how Jesus was falsely accused of planning to destroy the temple. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, this man stated, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And of course, Jesus was mocked, beaten, and crucified. Luke 22, 63 to 65 tells us how Jesus was mocked and beaten by the temple guard. He says, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. So brothers, sisters, friends, what was the worst insult you've experienced in your life? The Bible here says that there were many other insulting things Jesus experienced. Could Jesus not sympathize with the insults that you have experienced in your life? And Jesus was mocked and flogged on the way to be crucified. Even on the cross, Jesus endured mocking and insult. These are just some examples of the reproach Jesus Christ suffered in order to save us from our sins. As Romans 15.3 says, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Christ has set the example for us as believers to follow. Therefore, the reproach of Christ also means the reproach we endure on behalf of Christ. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, 24 to 27, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, 
greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By God's grace, we know from the Bible that Moses was born as a beautiful baby, so that when Pharaoh's daughter saw him in the basket on the river, she rescued him and adopted him as her son, even though Pharaoh had commanded every male Hebrew baby should be thrown into the Nile River, so he could not have lived. And uh, by God's grace, in Acts 7.22, Stephen testified that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So we see that Moses is highly educated and he's also powerful in speech and action while he was in Pharaoh's court. Stephen continues telling the story of Moses in Acts 7, 23 to 29. He says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, man, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. So brothers, sisters, and friends, what made Moses suddenly decide at the age of 40 to visit his own people? We know that it's only by God's Holy Spirit who can move our hearts so that we would turn from enjoying the temporary pleasures of sin and live by faith for God. We see Moses begin by faith to endure the reproach of Christ. He was rejected by his own people when he tried to come to their rescue. He was falsely accused of wanting to be their ruler and judge and wanting to murder a fellow Israelite because they had seen he had murdered Egyptians, which he shouldn't have done. So we see that even though Moses was a sinner, yet by faith, Moses made up his mind that he wasn't going to be identified as a son of Pharaoh's daughter and be part of the Egyptian royalty, but that he was going to be identified with the slaves of Egypt, who are his own people, the Israelites. Hebrews eleven twenty seven 27 says that Moses by faith left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Now, if this verse is describing Moses when he was 40 years old, then we see that Moses fled Egypt, not because of the fear of man, but because of his trust in God. By faith, Moses left Egypt and waited for God's timing, even if it means 40 years in the desert of Midian. 
The ancient Christian writer Ocuminius wrote, he did not fear lest Pharaoh's wrath be so great so as to investigate him as he fled. Therefore, he did not run far away, but from where he could return. And that was done by faith. So this Christian writer points out that Moses did not run too far away that he can't be caught by Pharaoh or so far away that he could never return to save his people. Even if God haven't fulfilled the dreams he has put in your heart right now, brothers and sisters and friends, do you just give up or are you still faithful and preparing for the time when it will come? Just because you met some disappointments now doesn't mean that God's purpose has failed. Keep trusting the Lord and continue to be faithful to him in your life. Amen? Even though Moses lived almost 1,500 years before Christ came, by faith, he endured the reproach of Christ, suffering on behalf of the second person of the Trinity, the coming Messiah, the Savior of the world, so that one day he can lead God's people out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt, just as Jesus Christ came as the greater Moses, the only one who is without sin more than 2,000 years ago to rescue us out of the bondage of sin. Moses endured because he was looking to the reward from God. He was looking for the fulfillment of the promises God had given to his ancestor Abraham to give his people the blessings of the promised land. Are you also enduring for the reward from God? Are you also looking for God to bring many, many people to receive salvation, amen? To receive blessing in Jesus Christ. Number two, what does the reproach of Christ means for us? The reproach of Christ had a profound and life-changing effect on the life of William Carey, who has been called the father of modern missions. He was the first modern missionary to India who served there for 41 years, translating the entire Bible into Bengali. William Carey, he wrote how until the age of 14, he was addicted to swearing, lying, and unchaste conversation. His father, though, was a clerk of the local Church of England. So he had to go to church every week, every week. When he was 15, he was an apprentice. And one time a customer gave him a shilling uh, as a Christmas present. So this is in England. So he tried to buy something with it and he found that it was a counterfeit. So what did he do? He exchanged it for a genuine shilling from the money uh, that his master had entrusted to him. And then what he did was he told his master that one of your customers had paid me in counterfeit. So now his master is stuck with the counterfeit. When his master discovered the truth, the young William Carey was overwhelmed with shame. And that caused him to even stop attending church service. However, he started going to prayer meetings for his spiritual needs. So he was still going to prayer meetings. 
And when he was 17, there was a national day of prayer. And uh, because in, in England, because the war with the rebellious American colonies was not going well. We, we know this as the American Revolution. So Kerry attended a worship service that day and the preacher's text was Hebrews 13, 13, which says, let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. And this verse deeply moved him, moved him so much that he, he decided to follow. He says, I'm gonna uh, follow Christ outside of the camp because he sees that he needs to follow Christ outside the camp of what to him was a comfortable but lifeless religion in order to bear the disgrace of Christ. And so he went and, fell, and, and went to fellowship and uh, discipleship with these a group of godly Christians. And so William Carey uh, was changed through these fellowship and discipleship with godly Christians from being ashamed and in bondage to his sins to being unashamed of the gospel and sold out to the Lord. Amen. So Jesus in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here Jesus taught us that we are blessed when people insult us or persecute us or falsely or even falsely say all kinds of evil against us because of his name, because of him, for his sake. And so therefore we should rejoice and be glad when we endure the reproach of Christ because great is our reward in heaven. And how great is our joy and peace also when we know that we're doing the will of the Lord. When we rejoice and glory in the reproach of Christ, we are set free to be truly who God has made us to be, which are humble servants, humble and, and, and um, glad servants of the Lord God Almighty, who have been called out of darkness, out of the darkness of our sins, into his marvelous light, into his, his glory to declare his praises to the world. And that's from 1 Peter 2, 9. The shame of living in our sins, of living empty lives, of living in a bondage to our fleshly desires are replaced with the glory of living in the light of the Lord, the glory of living in the fruit of the Holy Spirit that, that the Holy Spirit produces in us, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all this is from God, from the Holy Spirit working in us. So the reproach of Christ means that we're no longer in bondage to the fear of shame, uh, the fear of reproach, the fear of reviling, the fear of disgrace, and the fear of insult because Christ has become our glory, amen? Christ, Jesus himself has endured all the worst kinds of insults for us and has given us the honor of being holy and blameless before our God. And therefore, Christ has removed the shame 
of the condemnation from our past sins and the sins committed against us. Because Romans 8.1 tells us that therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. We just praise the Lord for, for this verse has set so many people free from the condemnation, the guilt, the shame that they have felt in their life. Um, we just praise the Lord um, that uh, this promise of Romans 8.1. So number three is what does the reproach of Christ means for the world? Now, Christian missiologists have identified three types of cultures in the world. There is one, the innocence, guilt cultures. Two, there's the honor, shame cultures. And three, there's the power, weakness cultures. So let me unpack that. These correspond to the three responses to sin, guilt, shame, and weakness. So the innocence guilt cultures, they're mostly the Western cultures, which are the individualistic societies where people who break the law are guilty and seek justice or forgiveness to correct a wrong. The honor-shame cultures are mostly Eastern cultures, which are collectivistic cultures, where people seek to avoid shame from breaking group expectations and seek honor for themselves and their community. Empower weakness cultures, which are tribal cultures, people are afraid of evil and harm and pursue power over the spirit world. These cultures can also vary depending on the region, on the age or gender. For example, the young adults in America value authenticity and connection and are becoming more shame-based culture. The good news is, brothers and sisters and friends, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins to deal with the problem of sin in all three types of cultures. Let me explain that. To the innocence guilt culture, Jesus' sacrifice removed our guilt and unrighteousness and makes us holy and blameless before God. We're justified, which, is, which means that we're declared not guilty by our faith in Jesus Christ. And to the honor-shame culture, Jesus' forgiveness of sin removed the shame of our sins, and we're no longer under condemnation. To the power witness cultures, Jesus' death on the cross won the victory over sin and death and the evil one. And all spiritual authority in heaven and earth has been given to our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Chinese culture, the concept of shame is widely accepted due to Confucian teachings. So Confucius used the word Junzi um, to describe a good person. Right? So this Chinese word, which can be translated as a superior man or gentleman or a good person. And he also used the word in contrast to Junzi is the word Xiaozhen to describe a bad person, which can be translated as the little man or the villain. And so in Junzi and Xiaoren, these Chinese words, we see the 
the concept of honor and shame very clearly. Dreams is a great compliment and honor, while Shaozhen is a great insult and shame. But the Chinese relationship is most important. Chinese people try hard to avoid confrontation because it will cause someone to lose faith and risk harming the relationship. In many of the Chinese traditions, if you look at it like the matchmaking traditional marriage arrangement, we can see how they're used to avoid shame in an honor-shame culture and society. Now, there was a poll conducted by LifeWay Research in 2016, which asked 1,000 Americans, which of these feelings do you seek to avoid the most? Shame, guilt, or fear? While America is regularly classified as a guilt culture, contrary to what we might expect, overall responses like this, shame, 38%. So that's the most, and then guilt, 31%, and fear, 30%. So while they're pretty similar, all around 30%, but shame was actually the highest at 38%. So what does this tell us? It shows us that the reproach of Christ has great meaning for both Chinese and American cultures because shame is a big issue for both cultures. And we have the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to take away our sins by dying our sins on the cross. And Jesus has replaced our shame with honor by making us children of God, cleansing us of our sins, cleansing us, forgiving us of our sins, giving us his righteousness, and calling us to live in his glorious life. In Christ, we have the approval of God. We no longer need to be ashamed because we don't have the approval of others. <laughs> Let me say this again. In Christ, we have the approval of God, amen? We no longer need to be ashamed because we don't have the approval of others. The reproach of Christ means that Christ has taken away our reproach and set us free from the fear of reproach. Our honor is forever secure in Jesus Christ because those who received him, who believe in his name, he gave them the right to be children of God. And that's from John 1, 12. So therefore, dear brothers and sisters, the reproach of Christ has set you free to live as God wants you to live, no longer in fear of shame and condemnation, but you can live in love and in holiness, amen? Will you endure the reproach of Christ with joy and gladness? And also, dear friends, do you struggle with shame in your life? Maybe some small, some big. The good news is that God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. He took all your sin and shame when he died on the cross for your sins. Now God is offering you a new life, washed and clothed with the righteousness of his son. Would you like to receive the free gift of eternal life by believing Jesus Christ, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you like, I can lead you in this prayer. Please pray with me this prayer. You like to receive Christ. So here's the prayer. If you follow, 
says, um, uh, follow after me, says, um, dear, please say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and do not deserve eternal life. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave on the third day to give me eternal life. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Take control of my life. Forgive my sins and save me. I repent of my sin and now place my trust in you alone for my salvation and receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's all close in prayer now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message about the reproach of Christ, the precious uh, message that, that you have came from heaven to earth to endure reproach for us. Therefore, now we don't need to be afraid to, uh, to have reproach in your name. We don't have to be afraid of, of the shame. We don't have to be afraid of the condemnation, of the insults um, as we are uh, living for you. Uh, I just pray that through this message, Lord, that you set us free, Lord, to enjoy your grace, to live in your grace, and to be glad and joyful, whatever it may be, whether people compliment us, whether people say uh, not so good things against us because of our faith in you, because we are following you. Let's give you all the thanks, all the glory, in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you all.